without rare earths such as lanthanum, cerium, dysprosium, and neodymium, our cars would not run. Your cell phone would have no bars. Your computer would have no storage. Efficient lighting would be sparser. The world would almost certainly stop without rare earth elements. Welcome to Moonshot Exec. Thank you for joining us yet again. So this is my second conversation with Christopher Grove, President and Director of Commerce Resources, which aims to be a key player in a more robust global supply chain for rare earths. Since we last talked with Christopher, the company has markedly progressed. This is a recording of a recent October 2019 conversation on a bright Vancouver afternoon. Thanks again, Chris. Good to see you again. Uh, My pleasure. A bit. So, uh, Commerce Resources, what's your website again? It is www.commerceresources.com. So you guys have a lot of exciting news I want to get to and chat with you about. So uh, again, thanks for meeting me here on this gorgeous day in Vancouver. It's very rare this time of year to have such a beautiful day. So, <laughs> Chris, some breaking news today. As you know, the U.S. and China have been engaged in an extended tit-for-tat trade war for some time, with some worries that China would start restricting their critical rare earth exports. But President Donald Trump just announced today that the two countries have come to a phase one agreement on resolving their differences. Uh, will this help calm nerves about long-term rare earth element supply, or are there still concerns? Um, I think uh, it's more something uh, that will calm uh, immediate uh, nerves. Uh, the long-term ones, I think uh, that brings up a different issue. And in terms of jumping right in on this and uh, Trump's policies, certainly one of the only people that he seems to listen to is Peter Navarro. And Navarro's books are potentially well known by your audience, things like Death by China. So I think the rare earth element or the concern that has been out there since mid-May when China threatened to halt shipments of rare earth elements, that that will uh, be alleviated to some extent right now. However, I must say that a lot of pundits, journalists, etc., uh, I don't think correctly portrayed the immediacy of the problems that could have resulted from a uh, cessation of shipments of rare earth elements to the United States, which is a lot of journalists, or if not all journalists, were lumping the uh, uses of rare earth elements into the uh, sector of clean and green, when uh, the immediate effect that would have happened had China halted shipments would have been in the world of the down and dirty, which is, and I don't mean to be pejorative, but I mean in terms of the rare earth elements that are essential 
in the service of the internal combustion engine for which the United States still does not have any alternate source of. And I'm talking specifically about lanthanum, which is used every single day to process oil into gasoline, and then uh, um, uh, cerium, which is used to manufacture catalytic converters for those same internal combustion engine cars. So for the moment, yeah, I think uh, there's going to be a little bit of um, less of a panic in the United States on these issues. But for the long uh, term, still uh, part of what arguably is the mandate of Donald J is to bring back manufacturing into the United States. And so I have to say in the last six months, I have been uh, made aware of three companies in the United States that I did not know existed doing something I did not know existed in the United States, which is manufacturing uh, permanent magnets from rare earth elements. Right. Now, we are in conversation with two of these companies, and we're not under non-disclosure, so I'm certainly at liberty to name them. They're both very interesting companies. One is Urban Mining out of Texas, and the other one is AML out of uh, Florida. Both have some very interesting ideas, um, um, processes, designs, etc. Uh, I shouldn't really lump them together, but they are both making basically rare earth element uh, permanent magnets. And they have certainly expressed an interest, I would say, in sourcing a rare earth element feedstock domestically. And so, you know, you know, in terms of your question here, which I've certainly gone on very long in my answer, I think the thing is, is that there really are very few Americans that I, I would say for the future feel comfortable being totally dependent on China for anything. And so I think for the future or or for right now, for the present and for the future, there will be a continued drive towards accessing a rare earth element feedstock from a country closer to the United States than China, and of course I mean Canada. Right, right. No, I mean, that, that raises an important point because I guess recently President Trump and Prime Minister Trudeau uh, talked about creating a joint plan uh, between the U.S. and Canada uh, on rare earth uh, elements and trying to figure out what's a game plan to basically you know, de-risk the rare earth supply chain uh, in the world. Uh, so, it, you know, they have a joint plan that they're putting together. You have the CEO of uh, uh, Linus Corp uh, out of Australia saying that, look, uh, we need to have more of a focus on building a, a supply chain outside of China. Uh, again, to de-risk things. Do you think that's even possible given the, the huge presence of, of the uh, Chinese uh, in the rare earth market and, and how long would you think it take, would take and, and obviously what would be uh, necessary to, to do that? I'm very appreciative of that question, and that would be essentially, you know, the elephant in the room in terms of rare earth elements, you know, the dominance of China. And this brings up a very important fundamental point, which is uh, it was a year ago right now that the rare earth element reporting service that we subscribe to out of Hong Kong, which is called Buy Info, uh, basically run by a woman named Jerry Bai. And uh, I got to say, you know, it's a very inexpensive service. I met Jerry two or three years ago in Hong Kong. And Jerry and Buy Info reported a year ago that China 
had become a net importer of rare earth elements. So in terms of the perception of China being able to manipulate prices, et cetera, et cetera, there is still that effect because China would still be the biggest single producing country for rare earth elements. But the fact that they have become a net importer in the last year makes them less able to be as, uh, let me say, as demonstrative in the market as I think people would have historically thought they were able to be, and they were. So uh, part of the reality of it is, is that to answer your question, yes, it is totally feasible to have a rare earth element uh, mine in production in North America. And to follow that point along, along, I would say the most important thing, which has been our guiding principle since 2005, when China originally imposed their, what was then deemed an illegal two-tiered pricing system. Uh, so an export duty in 2005. And from our due diligence at that point in time, in terms of looking at the world's rare earth element producing mines, we then went out looking for that specific style of deposit, which is typified by the world's largest rare earth element producer forever, which is the Bainobo deposit in Baotou, China. That deposit is a gargantuan carbonatite, and its dominant mineral is one of four, only four, that are commercially processed today, and that number has not changed one iota in the last 20 years. And so uh, Bayanobo was dominated by the mineral monazite. So in 2005, those were essentially our marching orders. Go out, find a carbonatite hosted rare earth element project who has uh, the minerals either monazite or bastnasite. And this is exactly what we found on the last day of our field program in 2009. A huge, well, I mean, we didn't know it was huge at that time, but a carbonatite deposit and where the dominant mineral is monazite. So fundamentally, the important uh, part of your question is when you ask, you know, is it feasible to have a rare earth element mine in North America? Absolutely, yes, but it is arguably fundamentally vitally important that the deposit is compares favorably to buy an oboe in terms of those geologic and mineralogical fundamentals. Right, right. That's, uh, thank you for that, and I think uh, certainly it's possible and necessary probably to cultivate new sources along with the accompanying uh, uh, downstream operations to convert uh, these uh, these materials into usable products. And so absolutely, absolutely, and I, and that's the thing, you know. Uh, in in all honesty, uh, Justin Trudeau, a month after he signed the COP twenty one in December of twenty fifteen, you know, two months after he became PMO in January of twenty sixteen, he kickstarted a R and D program run run under NRCAN, Natural Resources Canada, with a budget of about $17 million to optimize Canadian rare earth element projects towards the goal of having a rare earth element industry in Canada. 
Uh, we have been, our material from our ashram project has been involved in that program. Uh, we are excited by, by the uh, developments they've had there, the optimization. And uh, so that certainly is an ongoing goal of the Canadian government. And in terms of the meetings you, you mentioned between uh, Prime Minister Trudeau and President Trump back in June, I have to say to a certain extent, it seems like the summer was a fairly quiet time. Uh, one, would, one would think in terms of, of media or press articles on this, but uh, last week Bloomberg reported on uh, the most recent set of meetings between Canada and Washington, which did occur. And prior to that set of meetings, I was asked to come to Montreal by the Quebec uh, Ministry of Natural Resources to brief the president of OSISCO, uh, Brian Coates, on our rare earth element project. And I spoke to Brian today, and he said he thought the meetings were, were very good uh, with uh, representatives of the United States Department of Commerce, the Department of Energy, uh, the uh, Secretary of the Interior, USGS, etc. And as Brian said just a few hours ago, he believes that this is a top priority for these uh, US government uh, uh, representatives. Oh, fantastic. Uh, looks like uh, you were involved with some heavy hitters. <laughs> so that's excellent. So Thank this, you. This is a great uh, segue into talking more about Commerce Resources' uh, you know, recent uh, moves because you, you have been uh, heavily involved in several different things, uh, including uh, you know, some new uh, financing uh, to fund development at your uh, ashram, uh, rare earth property. We can't forget Niobium and Tantalum. Uh, some recent uh, results regarding that and you've had some interesting drilling results uh, and certainly near term you've been talking uh, to several players uh, or one player in particular about floor spar uh, but let, let's take these one at a time uh, so what can you give us an update on commerce resources sure and, uh, and uh, you know the corporate wise and then uh, some of your financing exploration efforts sure absolutely um, uh, I'm gonna turn back the clock to the uh, high point uh, in the last I don't know 10 years for the venture exchange March of 2011 the venture 25 2600 points the value of disprosium three thousand dollars a kilo gold trading at nineteen hundred dollars an ounce and then essentially the wheels came off all of the wagons and here we are today uh, gold has rebounded and uh, and arguably pulled a bit of focus from uh, the more critical commodities or the more industrial commodities like rare earth elements and tantalum and niobium but that's great resource investors if they're making uh, profits on gold projects great then hopefully they'll come back uh, and, and then make money on investing in rare earth elements etc in 2011 at that time we had no economics out we had a market cap I believe somewhere in the range of 200 million dollars and uh, two months ago we finally made the extremely painful decision to consolidate the share capital of the company uh, prior to that uh, uh, that announcement, we had a market cap somewhere around $21 million. At this point in time, uh, with the consolidation having taken effect, uh, we have just completed a first tranche of a the lowest price financing Commerce Resources has ever done, and I've been a shareholder for 20 years right now. Wow. And this one was done at 26 cents a share, or the equivalent of 2.6 cents per share. 
And so when I first invested in commerce uh, 20 years ago, I did it at 20 cents. And so part of what I would like to say to your audience is that uh, now that commerce has uh, defined huge resources at both of our projects and produced uh, historically positive economics on both projects, uh, both of the PEAs are very old. And of course, we are mostly interested or focused on uh, finishing the pre-feasibility studies for both projects, but I did want to say that positive economics have been released on both projects as well. So at any rate, uh, the opportunity I think in today's finance is recognized by some of our long-term shareholders. We have just closed on a first tranche, as I said, of over $2 million. We're very happy about that. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And so uh, we have very uh, quickly deployed some of that capital, and so what is underway right now is the upgrading of our what I call our free fluorite concentrate. So this fluorite concentrate uh, comes out in the magnetic separation of our process flow sheet and uh, Hazen Research in, in Golden, Colorado is currently upgrading that free fluorite byproduct to what is a more valuable product which is acid grade fluorospar. Now the interested company you referenced is Glencore and uh, Glencore when we first reached out to them four years ago uh, and this was in regards uh, looking for a location for our downstream processing facility and Glencore have a significant industrial park in New Brunswick uh, just outside of Beldune which is would be optimal, except that it's in New Brunswick, I must say. But uh, we did a short presentation on the ashram, and they're like, yeah, rare earth elements were kind of interested. But then we got to the slide about our fluorospar uh, percentage, which is about 4.5% to 9% of the ashram. And that's when they got really excited. This was 2015. Less than a year later, uh, Glencore encouraged us and we did sign a binding MOU with them where they've agreed to give us a very deep discount to market on our softer acids uh, that we would require, hydrochloric, sulfuric, in exchange for their opportunity to market our acid-grade fluorospar product. In terms of uh, fluorospar or acid-grade fluorospar, it is the feedstock to produce the most expensive and the most caustic acid known to man, which is ubiquitous basically in the chemical industry and in mining. And in fact, in the processing, the standard solvent extraction for rare earth element projects, you use hydrofluoric acid to dissolve everything into solution. Right. So at any rate, uh, uh, Bionobo also produces fluorospar, by the way, and there really is only one uh, primary rare earth element project that's in production uh, that only has rare earth elements, and that would be uh, the Rainbow Project in uh, Burkina Faso. The other dominant rare earth element producers typically also get economic benefit from byproducts, and in our case, this is a significant uh, benefit to our economics, uh, lowering the operating cost, increasing the margin, and this fluorospar was not included in our preliminary economic assessment. So right now today, Hazen is working on that upgrading process. We hopefully will have this sample out to Glencore in the next month. At the same time, we also have uh, Activation Labs uh, in Ontario. 
uh, assaying the last 2,000 meters of, of drilling we did on the ashram. And once that is done, then there will be 9,700 meters of drilling adding to the definition of the ashram deposit. So we expect uh, from the assays we've already received the uh, um, uh, 7,700 meters of drilling since the last uh, resource. We've seen higher grade material. We've seen uh, mineralized material where we didn't expect it. And we've seen less waste rock, even though the primary target of that 9,700 meters was infill drilling. So I do expect in the next uh, resource calculation to see a slightly larger deposit. Uh, it currently is 249 million tons at an average of 1.9% rare earth elements. So it's a huge deposit already. But we expect to see it grow by a little bit. We expect to see it slightly higher grade. And we also expect to see it having slightly less waste rock than it had modeled in the PEA. And it already has one of the lowest strip ratios of any deposit I've ever seen, which essentially then speaks back to one of the fundamentals that is so important in rare earth elements and actually in niobium as well, in that carbonatites are the sole source uh, of niobium and rare and carbonatites are the dominant source for rare earth elements and carbonatites come up from the center of the earth right. so when i say you know bionobo is a huge carbonatite that is a bit of a redundancy because all carbonatites basically <laughs> if, if if you're able to trace them to their source they're coming up from the center of the earth. So we've drilled the ashram down to 585 meters and it's consistent mineralization all the way down. So 249 meters at an annual extraction rate of 1.4 million tons. What is that, 200 years of production right there? That's a lot. It's a, lo it's a lot, it's a lot. So uh, we have those 2,000 meters of assays uh, of drill core being assayed right now. We have the fluorospar uh, being upgraded right now. Following that fluorospar upgrade at Hazen Research, then they will be writing up uh, the outstanding metallurgical reports from the last operation of the pilot plant, yes. detailing the highest grade, <clears throat> excuse highest grade uh, concentrates we've produced. So all of these will yield arguably positive news releases, and we look forward to having those out. Excellent. And I mean, one of the things we should mention, I mean, and it's good that you, you you know, we've talked about sort of the, the high level uses of some of these materials, but as you say, we also talk about the down and dirty, and you mentioned the, the use of fluorospar in mining, but uh, you know, people are so excited about fluorospar because you know, obviously prices have gone up uh, over the past few years, you know, maybe from the two to $300 range to up to close to $600 per metric ton. Exactly. Uh, and, the, and the big thing uh, that's driving that is that fluorospar is, is used as an electrolyte in uh, lithium-ion batteries. So again, that, that tie to electric vehicles uh, really has put more of a focus on a metal that uh, you know, heretofore has been just sort of, you know, one of these things you use in steel production or whatever, it's now really becoming uh, much more central to uh, you know the green economy. So. Absolutely, you know, and 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 I'm I'm really glad you you made that clear. And secondly, something that I don't think China has really been given appropriate credit for is uh, the efforts, relatively arguably quiet, uh, behind the scenes of shutting down polluting mining projects. And uh, for anyone who's been in China in the last ten years, let's say. Uh, I, I'm sure anyone's trip to China would be accompanied by, you know, some mention of 
horrible uh, environmental conditions, and 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 that isn't even going to the actual worst places, you know. Uh, so like by an oboe or any of the other rare earth element mines. But uh, in terms of mining, Fluorospar and some rare earth element projects have been, in terms of Chinese style of extraction, etc., terrible polluters. So the Chinese government has been very active in shutting down polluting fluorospar, polluting rare earth element mines, which has led, as I said earlier, to essentially uh, uh, China becoming a net importer of both. And uh, so this is something very interesting. So right now, Mexico is arguably the largest producer of fluorospar. Mm -hmm. And then again, in terms of the information we've received uh, as recently as two months ago when I sat down with Glencore, the Mexican material generally is, you know, there's a lot of arsenic there. So a cleaner domestic source of fluorospar is very uh, much of interest to Glencore. Well, I hope you enjoyed this latest conversation with Commerce Resources. They've made some interesting progress in terms of their mine project, and I wish them well. So here's the deal. Moonshot Exec is for entertainment and informational purposes only. I have not performed detailed financial analysis or completed due diligence of the companies featured in this podcast. I do not and have not owned securities in any of the profiled firms. I am not compensated for these podcasts. I am not a qualified person under the Canadian National Instruments 43101 classification statutes. If you choose to invest, please do so at your own risk. Thank you. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. My podcast is on Apple iTunes as well as Google Play. Also, please do sign up for my mailing list so you'll be the first to hear about new episodes of this podcast. Go to moonshotexec.com to sign up for the mailing list and to subscribe to the podcast.